Welcome to season three of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. I'm Dane Sanders. I have two words to get us started. Seth Godin. Converge is a show about that space, that tension between the stuff you make and making money or something valuable from your stuff. The show lives where creativity and business collide, giving all of us the opportunity to rethink how we work and live in the digital economy. There has been no other thinker that has influenced me more profoundly, especially when it comes to business and creativity, than Seth Godin. Seth is, of course, the author of 18 books that have been bestsellers around the world. He writes about the post-industrial revolution, the way ideas spread, marketing, quitting, leadership, really changing everything. And if you're not familiar with his books, like Lynchpin, Tribes, The Dip, Purple Cow, so many more, you need to be. Seth also writes for his blog and publishes Pure Gold every single day. You can find it pretty easily by Googling the word Seth. It is easily one of the most popular blogs on the planet. And in 2015, Seth designed and created the Alt-MBA, an intensive four-week online workshop for high-performing individuals who want to level up and to lead. Growth has exploded with leaders at Kickstarter, Nike, Microsoft, Lululemon, Whole Foods, Coca-Cola, The Red Cross, Sony, Charity Water, even the Smashing Pumpkins are among their high-ranking alumni. And there's also regular folks like you and me who regularly participate with the Alt-MBA and see remarkable results because of that commitment. One of the things I most appreciate about Seth, though, is that he defines his career by the impact he's had in teaching others. I am, happily, one of those students, and if you aren't already, in just a few short minutes, you will be. So a while back, Seth and I were at a small dinner in Boston, and we got to talking about the space in between our work, the gaps, and the tension that is built into any work that is worth doing. And ever since that conversation, I've dreamt of extending it here so you all could join in. So without further ado, I want to welcome Seth Godin to Converge. Seth, welcome. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. You keep making the best kind of ruckus, Dane. (laughs) You are very generous to me, Seth, and have been for a long time. And I'm eager to jump into a lot of conversation today, especially around your newest project. But we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, I mentioned at the top that there was this conversation we found ourselves in in Boston a little while ago. And I've been stuck in that conversation in my mind for some time, specifically around these gaps that we all wrestle with all the time. In fact, you wrote in a recent blog post about relay racing and how success for those kinds of athletes depended less on the athleticism of an individual and more on how effectively they handed the baton. And I'm wondering if we could start there, if you could share a little about what you meant and maybe what the implications of that insight are on freelancers and entrepreneurs, especially in the age we live in. You know, I woke up about two weeks ago and I said, I had this great huge original idea, almost worthy of writing a book again. I'm going to call it Mind the Gap. So (laughs) I'm very glad that you have reminded me where it came from. So we are really tempted because we grew up in a command and control and compliance and test world to believe that the way we get what we want is to get better at the thing we think we do that studying for the SAT is the way to do better on the SAT, and that's the way to get into a famous college, blah, 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 blah. That the plumber says, if I was only better at screwing on washers, I would have more customers. But in fact, we are not computers, nor do we work for computers. We are humans, and humans make decisions in lots of unusual ways. And one of the challenges that we have is accepting the fact that we do more than the thing we say we do. 
that in fact, the thing we say we do, we don't do very much all day. I do my best work maybe 12 minutes a day. And the rest of the time, I'm trying to build the soft tissue around it, trying to make it accessible or deal with the mechanics or the emotions or the fear that I feel and that other people feel. And you can view that as a sideshow, or you can realize that it's at the core of what you do if you wish to make a difference. It's interesting. I'm reminded of a conversation, like a few conversations I've been in with some of our common friends, Cece Chapman and Handley, around their great book on content with content rules. And I jokingly said to them in different occasions that they need to write a book called context rules, that the the frame around the build of great content, at least for me, and is, is some of the hardest work. Is that close to what you're describing or is a nuance there that you'd want to articulate? Well, I mean, there's just so much here. You know, you and I met after your generous book for wedding photographers and we see the problem there. It's endemic. People think, well, they, they're good at taking pictures and they have an expensive camera. Therefore, they deserve to be able to engage with a woman on a day that's really important to her and have her pay them $10,000 and on and on, which none of it has anything to do with pictures, right? Her family isn't even that attractive. They're not doing it because of the negatives in the thing you're going to scan in. They're doing it for the humanity. And when I talked about the relay race thing in the blog post, what I was saying is context switching, handing things off from one person to another is actually the most important part of a relay race, that that's where you win the relay race or not. And what I am seeking to do with most of my recent work and in the engagements that I have with humans is to help them learn that the soft skills aren't soft at all. They're the real skills. So let's talk about one of those projects that you're into right now, and that's the Alt-MBA. You started it, I think, a couple of years ago now, and it's exploded. The folks that have been participated from you know, Lululemon to Charity Water to Smashing Pumpkins, your alumniness is pretty impressive. But I'm more curious, in your own words, like what is the Alt-MBA to you and why are you doing it? Well, I've been a teacher my whole life, and books were really good to me because as a struggling entrepreneur, the book industry would pay you to write a book and then ostensibly take care of bringing it to the world. And I did that. Uh, I did 18 bestsellers and I'm privileged to do all of it. But going forward, A, the book industry stumbles a little bit because bookstores are disappearing. And B, the internet creates all these new ways to teach people. So given that I have this leverage to reach a lot of people, I said, well, if I could teach people anything, what would I teach them? And how would I teach them? And it's really tempting to do the easy shortcut thing, which is make a bunch of videos, then be done. But I said, what would be the most difficult thing I could do? How could I create an online workshop that doesn't have a 3 or 4% completion rate, which is what most online courses have, but has a 95 or 97% completion rate? And beyond that, how could I structure it so that people actually changed, so they actually learned something? And that's what led to the Alt-MBA, which we're now running for the 14th time. Uh, we have about 1,400 alumni. It truly works. It works more effectively than anything I have ever built. And what it does is it creates cohorts of people around the world, 45 countries, in real time over 30 days where we do work together. So I'm not in it. There's no videos from me. There's no secret lessons, no magic PDFs, no hidden wonder. 
Instead, it's what would happen if five or 25 or 125 people came together with coaches who have been through it before, with video conferencing and publishing and projects, could that change the way we walk through the world? Could it change how we see ourselves? That's what we set out to build. And I was totally fine to only do it once. I wanted to see. But we're doing it 14 times because it works. And we're not trying to make it bigger. We just keep trying to make it better. Well, one of the things that the Alt-MBA is becoming famous for is removing excuses for people. And one quote I loved from Jessica Loria, one of your alumni from, is it, I don't know how to pronounce it, Chibani? Chibani. 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 She said that the Alt-MBA changed my view of what can be accomplished in a day. After going through the program, I don't think I can ever make up an excuse again. Uh, And it seems like that's a common observation. And she's no slouch. I mean, she was a massive achiever before she showed up at Alt-MBA, what would you attribute to being the difference maker for those high performers who are actually finding a new gear? You know, I don't watch TV and I don't go to meetings. So I get seven more hours every day than most people. So when people think I'm productive, I first point out that I've got those seven hours that they don't have. But the main reason that some people produce is because they don't spend a lot of time having a discussion with themselves, nor do they spend time looking for a reason to wait that people who are really productive, they show up and they do it. And the irony for me here is that we did physical labor for thousands of years. No one marvels at a ditch digger who can dig a lot of ditches. No one marvels that a plumber doesn't get plumber's block. They show up and they do this work. And what I believe is that once we see our soft skills as our profession, we can show up and do this work. And if you can do it, merely do it, do it with focus, without a lot of color commentary, the amount you can produce is five or 10 times what you're getting done now. It's funny. I'm reminded I have a a friend named Francis Chan, and Francis is a a writer in the Christian community, and he wrote a book called Crazy Love. And one of the stories that he tells that I really appreciate is uh, in the Christian community, he's held up as this kind of hero, this super Christian of some sort. And he tells this great story about how he went to his village of origin. He's Chinese, but he's thoroughly Americanized, like he, he doesn't look or sound like someone from his heritage. But he went to his original village, and it just so happened that in that village, everyone was very, very short, and he was a pretty tall guy. And they realized they kept saying the same phrase to him over and over again, which the phrase was, you so big, you so big, of course, in that in their language and dialect. And his response after a while was, it wasn't so much that I so big, it's you so small. And he's come back in conversations with folks in his tradition. And basically, when people are affirming him, they're all saying, you so big. And in response, he's saying, well, actually... <laughs> You know, I don't want to be indicting, but it's kind of you so small. And there's a little bit of, <laughs> of of what I'm hearing you describe in that too, that some of these excuses that I make all the time, you know, it was funny, the mind, the gap thing. We talked about that a couple of years ago, and I'm still in the throes of getting that completed. And I'm so excited about it. I'm learning every day. But there's also, there is this, like you've talked about on so many occasions, these reptilian brains or what? Stephen Pressfield's talked about with the resistance. There's so much to overcome. And one of the questions I have for you is, even with those extra seven hours and what you wrestle with, it's so tempting to think that you don't have these same kinds of challenges. When you go to tackle an Alt-MBA or you know your 19th book or whatever's next, that you don't come up against these things. Can you talk a little bit about that more personally? Like, What does resistance look like for you in your world? 
This, I love this question. You know, just to hone back on the book, you know, if I mailed you, emailed you the manuscript of your book, how long would it take you to type it again? <laughs> right? The answer is it would take you two days. That's right. So all the time that you're spending is not typing time. It's a different time. It's the time of figuring it out and getting comfortable enough to show it to somebody else. And what we do in the Alt-MBA for 30 days in a row is we don't give you time to get comfortable with it. You have to ship it. And you realize this stuff you're shipping is pretty good and that an extra five minutes would make it even better, but an extra five hours would make it worse. And so that's sort of the level set. Now, to answer your question, there's a disturbing thing that's going on on the web, which is this sort of, I'll say guru worship, even though I don't like either of those words, which is, Tim Ferriss, tell us what you had for breakfast. As if the high performers are somehow different than us, and they somehow have some sort of secret shortcut or different genetic makeup. And I don't see myself as a high performer. I just figured out how to get out of my way. And I'm not different. I struggled just as much as many people and have had as many failures or more as many people. But I figured out how to get out of my way. And one of the ways that we get in our way is by refusing to acknowledge soft skills, by refusing to think that it's important to be in the business of being trusted and connecting and having empathy, when in fact, that's 90% of what's important. And the other stuff is just sort of commentary. Those are big words, empathy, trust. What was the third that you mentioned? I don't know. I thought you were listening. Uh, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> hold on. We'll roll the tape. So with empathy, what I mean by this is there's a good reason people don't buy from you. There's a good reason they don't hire you. There's a good reason they don't trust you. What is that reason? It, once we have the empathy to see that they are hassled or busy or have been burned before or are distracted or have a different relationship with money than we do, the empathy comes much more easily and we're able to adjust how we are in order to be engaged with them, which leads to trust, which leads, I think, to the third word, which is connection, right? That how do we create a place in the world where we would be missed if we were gone? What does it mean to do work that matters? You know, so you're going to send out, not you personally, but someone listening to this is going to send out an email blast, another word I hate, tomorrow to 100,000 people or 10,000 people who have technically opted in, but not really. How many of those people, if you didn't send the email blast, would call you up and say, where is it? I miss you. Mm. Because if the number is really tiny, then you don't have permission, then you're not really connected, you're just tolerated. But when we think about the people in our lives who have made a difference, they're not tolerated, they're part of it. We would miss them if they were gone. And in our current digital state, the ability we have to be connected and trusted by more people has never been like this. We can reach and be connected to a million people, or in Kevin Kelly's case, a thousand true fans. Mm. And if you are the kind of creative who's listening to this podcast, who's seeking to make it into a business, a thousand true fans is sufficient. You don't need more people. You need more depth. On your Alt-MBA site, you outlined 17 ideas for the modern world of work. And I'm going to make this a multiple choice so you don't have to, <laughs> people can go, I'll get the link on the site for, it's just altmba.com forward slash ideas. But I'm curious if any of these, as I read through the list, particularly jump out at you lately, as you work these things out in your own work, you say things like, you're more powerful than you think, it's bigger than you, 
Leaders are made, not born. Leveling up is a choice. They said you can't. We know you can. Dance with fear. See, assert change. Overwhelmed is temporary. Out loud in public. I mean, all of these, and I go on and on, all of these, It's the last one in particular, it's personal. It seems like, as I've been tracking and reading you for a lot of years and getting your blog posts every morning, it strikes me that each of these phrases are inviting people into your own existential experience, but at the same time, I don't know, inviting them into their own. Like it, it's mirroring and, and helping them kind of see something from a new perspective. And as you're presenting these ideas, either at AltMBA or through your blog, are there ones that tend to rise more regularly? Or is there one that in recent days you have found particularly prevalent? I hadn't read this page till you sent it to me for at least a year. It really matters to me. I'm glad that I wrote it because it's personal. It's not just personal for me. It's personal for the person that we're connecting with. A lot of people have been trained to make it unpersonal, that that's what infuriates us about bureaucrats. But I'm just doing my job or I can't do anything to help you or that's the policy because they don't want it to be personal because if it's personal, they're on the hook. If they're on the hook, they're responsible. If they're responsible, they can get in trouble. If they can get in trouble, they could lose their job and then they could die. And so you go from, can I please have a stapler to, I'm going to die in one sentence because we don't want it to be personal. And I don't see how you can make art. I don't see how you can be a creative and also want it to not be personal. So if you want it to be personal, then the question is, Will you choose to level up? Will you choose for your personal contribution to be more than it is now? And what does that mean to you? Some artists go through this never-ending cycle of improvement because they're getting closer to their humanity. Not because they're making more money or having a bigger show, but because they're being more real and more personal. And that journey is infinitely interesting to me. I'm not at all interested in the journey of how to double the number of Facebook followers you have. One question about AltMBA, just pragmatically, because I, I think as folks are listening to this, they're drawn in, they're asking themselves, I know I'm asking myself, when you're talking about comfortability and my book, and <laughs> I, what would I pay to have the opportunity to not overthink it and get out of my head and get it done? And even just your bias towards activity and shipping. There's probably another conversation that people are having in their head of like, that's not for me. When they go to Alt-MBA and they see the list of super performers that are that are seeing the value here and opting in, they may disqualify themselves in their mind, or they might go, oh, it's too expensive, or, or whatever the question is in their mind. Can you talk a little bit to those people's inner, inner conversations? Who is this for? Who is it not? And how can they get over themselves to to get involved? You know, we have some fascinating conversations with people because they're wrestling with the resistance and finding or looking for good reasons not to level up. One of my favorites is, well, you have all these famous brands like Dell and Deloitte and Intuit and stuff. Do you have anyone who's not famous like me? So then we send them the list of 1,000 organizations and they say, oh, yeah, I see that there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies here that I never heard of. Do you have any companies here that are located in the Cincinnati area that specialize in heating but not cooling, right? <laughs> that the, 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 the quest for reassurance never ends. So we made the decision a long time ago that reassurance is futile. You're never going to be able to give people enough reassurance. 
So we don't really try. If someone says, my relationship with money, whether it's mental or financial, makes it so that this is too much of a stretch, we say, absolutely no problem. There's 7,000 blog posters, all the books, go, have at it. We're sorry, it's not a good fit. If someone says, I need a very specific case study from someone just like me, we say, well, how's that going to help? Because if it was going to help, we'd make 100 more. But we already have dozens of them. What's missing here? So we say, sorry, it's not going to work for you. And that's totally great because we have the luxury of not needing to get bigger. We just want the right people. That's one of the reasons it works. And it turns out what makes you the right person isn't where you work. Because in fact, 85% of our students don't work for a famous organization. What makes you the right person is that you think you're the right person. So if you think you're the right person, you should come. If not, totally fine. I said last question, but you've inspired a few more. Uh, can I ask you? I'm having a blast. Okay. All right. So one of the things that we're spending a lot of energy on at fastermind.co, which is where we host the podcast and we have this event in January that you participated with in the past and different things. We talk about these six ideas and uh, I'm, I'm putting these out there to honestly consider them like what are we where are we missing in this but it's really it's a set of conversations that our our community are part of all the time and in broad strokes there're just six quick things one is what does it take to own your business what does it take to lead your team what does it take to uh, own your finances and then we we flip from the business side to the personal side so if you know if, if your business is making profit then how can we shift to personally multiplying your money on a personal level how do habits and productivity connect the dots here on a personal level and then ultimately if you're owning your business could that translate to you owning your life and i'm curious as you hear that kind of a frame and there's a lot of great frames to talk about these big ideas and the hard work of course is in the detail but i'm curious if you have any commentary on those categories of thought where you have seen people whether it be an alt mba or just in your interactions with folks all over the planet where these particular ideas, if, if folks could look at it from a, a couple degrees further than what's obvious, what would show up for them? And only only if it, something comes to mind, but I'm curious, in those categories, anything you want to comment on or riff on? Well, you know, you're going at the same thing we're going at. We're just taking different paths that lots of us know people who seem to have become actualized, comfortable in their own skin, standing taller, making a difference. Sometimes it looks like their life is effortless, but even when things come up, they figure out how to navigate through it. And what they have in common isn't that they read 20 checklists and learned a fact you don't know. It's not like they have a treasure map and they just go straight to where the treasure is every time. It's that they've quieted the noise in their head enough to be able to do the work. This goes back to the ditch digger. Ditch diggers don't have a noise in their head about whether they're digging a ditch properly or not. They merely dig. And it seems to me that the six things you've highlighted are brilliant because they are the six things that we argue with ourselves about all the time. And part of the problem with arguing with yourself is that no one's listening and it wastes a lot of time. So you don't need to address these six things because there are facts you don't know, go to the library. You can get the facts right away. That's right. That, that the advantage of Faster Mind or other kinds of programs is that when you are surrounded by expectation and by fellow travelers, you're way more likely to shift gears. I, you know, I frequently remind people that the oldest, most successful marketers in history are religions, thousands of years old, 
billions of people served, sometimes for money, sometimes for not. But why do they work? They don't work because they have a magic book. They work because they have a community, and the community has expectations, and the expectations gets us through the fear. And we are the richest population that has ever lived, with more leverage than ever before. And yet, we waste time watching cat videos, and we fret so much that we don't sleep, that we get TMJ, that we're mean to other people, that we ostracize the other, that we cease to be generous. And I hate that. And I want to do something about it. And I think so do you. And the way we get there is by seeing what's actually going on and realizing our narrative about it isn't accurate. And if we could just change our narrative, it turns out there's an enormous amount of possibility available to us. So friends, if you're at home and you're listening to this and you're like, I want that kind of a community around me, whether you're part of FasterMind or not, you must, must, must go to altmba.com, check out what the process would be like for you to jump into a kind of community that within four weeks could absolutely change your trajectory. I know you may find me as your colleague in a cohort because I am convinced more than ever that, Seth, you are bringing a voice and articulation, a sense of clarity and perspective that is uncommon, too uncommon. Uh, I wish there were more of yous out there. (laughs) And we are so, so grateful. And I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of folks that your faithfulness to this work and inviting people into a deeper dialogue has just transformed lives. So thank you for all you've done and all you're doing and keep doing it. We are grateful for you, Seth. Well, the feeling is likewise, Dane. And I hope that we can connect again in person really soon. Thank you for spending this time. This was episode one, season three of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. Converge Podcast is brought to you by FasterMind.co, where we help entrepreneurs go from knowing to doing. Get started free today by finding out your FasterMind owner score. Go to FasterMind.co. Music for this episode provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. What does your story sound like? This episode was mixed and produced by Podcast Fast Track.